0: I want to welcome you. I want to say it is great to be able to gather today, whether you are seated at one of our campuses or whether you are joining us online. I just want to really thank you for taking the time to allow us to be together. And uh, I'm excited about sharing with you. All week long, I've wrestled a little bit with God, you know, It'd be good if we could like laugh a little bit at the beginning. If you could give me something, you know, and we could laugh a little bit. And, but honestly, as the week has rolled on, uh, I feel more like, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm not belittling the weight that anybody's feeling. Um, it's one of those things as a shepherd that you kind of feel when you watch um, some people um, who are hurting because they're sick. And we got that going on. Uh, we have some people who are hurting because of the effect of sickness, and they're trying to figure out what to do with work and businesses and all kinds of decisions that affect their lives. Um, obviously, this week, uh, there's even a weight that we feel in connection to an election. Um, even if you take out who wins, the how, and the the questions, and the the trust factors and just all that stuff that comes together and there's just a weight that's real. I'm excited to be able to share with you today, we've been, we've been reading this last week in Corinthians and there is a text there that I think is absolutely one of those texts that God has for us today. I'm going to get there through the belly of a fish, all right? All right. Because I believe if we, if we visit a little bit of Jonah's story, that maybe you've, maybe you've heard it a uh, hundred times. S- some people that I'm speaking to maybe have never heard this story. Um, it is a wild story, but I, I believe it will help us then understand what Corinthians is saying to us. So this is where Jonah's story starts. God tells Jonah in chapter 1, uh, verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, Jonah was a prophet of God from Israel. That means that he's supposed to listen to what God says, and then he's supposed to do what God says, and then often he would relay that message to the people, But in this particular case, what the scripture just showed us is that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria, which was a vicious nation. They had oppressed the nation of Israel in the past, and they were going to oppress Israel in the future Now, I don't know whether Jonah knew about the future. He is a prophet. Sometimes those prophets would know things that God would tell them about the future. I don't know if Jonah knew about the future, but he certainly knew about the past, and he knew what Nineveh had done to his people. It makes Jonah board a boat and run the opposite direction. And so as the story goes, God sends a storm, and the boat that Jonah's on is about to sink, Jonah admits that he's the reason. He's the reason this is going on. His advice is, if you'll just throw me overboard, I'm done. This will end it. You'll, You'll be safe. The people on board go to every extent that they can not to have to take such measures. But in the end, that's exactly what they do. They toss him over and the sea calms. And before you close the first chapter... You have to pay attention to what it says. All on board that ship became worshipers of God. So, what you're saying is the God that we follow can accomplish life changing stuff, even out of storms. Can we let that settle a little bit? That the God we know and the God we follow and the God we trust can accomplish life-changing things, even in storms. Let's keep reading, because I want you to not just hear that statement, but I want you to be able to back it up in your own life. Let me show you something. Verse 17 now the Lord provided, the Lord provided, everybody say provided. Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then that three days and three nights stuff, we know when we get to the New Testament and we're gonna look back, we look back on Jonah and we go, okay, this is what they sometimes call a type. It's a picture, right? Jesus who would die and he would be in the grave for three days and and, and then rise. But but this word, Provided is a decent English word, but the original Hebrew word here carries two concepts. It's the concept of purpose, and it's the concept of predestined. That's what the word is. And so if I were going to put all that together and try to come up with one word, I'm I'm not saying that provided is a bad word, but but the word that I would use that that I think clicks with us in our English language and what the actual word means is the word appointed. God appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And so I want you to start to digest this little statement, God appoints it, God appoints appoints it, God appoints it. Now, when, when God appoints something, you, you can simply, God has a point for it. That's, that's the way I, 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 I collect it. Um, this means intent, not reaction. What I mean is the, the fish... That God provided was for a purpose. The, the fish that God provided signifies here how in control God is of this whole situation. Here's what I think we miss God providing the fish was not a reaction to Jonah being tossed in the water. It's not. God providing the fish is not a reaction by God of Jonah being tossed in the water. What this word refers to is the fact that God prepared for this prior to this entire series of events because he knew and he appointed. That's what the word means. Three days pass, Jonah in the fish, which that just, if you think about that too long, that'll just kind of, bleh. All right, three days in a fish, and then the fish spits him out. When I was a kid, I used to think the spit out part was the worst. No, it's in the belly for like three days. But but spits him out. Anybody want to guess where the fish spits him out? Nineveh. The very city that God said go to that Jonah ran away from. Coincidence? Jonah gets to Nineveh, he reluctantly preaches the message to them. Reluctantly. But miraculously, they repent. Like the whole city, every single one of them turns to God. Jonah's response, he's mad. He's upset. He's furious. Jonah doesn't want Nineveh to turn to God because he knows if Nineveh turns to God, God will forgive he doesn't want Nineveh to be forgiven he wants them to pay for what they have done to his people in the past but it is a beautiful picture of how the aroma of God's love overpowers the stench of Jonah's sin and an entire city turns to God but God also doesn't want Jonah to stay bitter forever and he wants Jonah to understand that it's God who's in control and that it's God who loves even Nineveh. And so God chooses to do some more appointing. So the story is it's hot outside, Nineveh, it's hot. And, and Jonah goes outside the city and he builds a shelter. I, I always imagine, just think about getting some limbs and, and, and you kind of propping them up together. It's a pretty makeshift, you know, but a bit of a shelter. And then this is where we're going to pick up the story in chapter 4 of Jonah, verse 6. And let me show you what God does. Then the Lord God, there it is, appointed. The Lord God appointed a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. God provides God provides. But at dawn the next day, God appointed. God appointed a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed. He appointed a scorching wind, east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Isn't it interesting that even a prophet of God can struggle at times with depression? Several times in Jonah's story, he's like, I'd rather just not live because it feels like right now living is harder than dying would be. Now, come on, a prophet of God in that day had some advantage that, that most of the people did not have. He, he got to hear from God, like directly, got, got word from God, and then he would pass it on. And yet here is Jonah in the midst of all this craziness and all the chaos and all the circumstances. He, he's like, it'd be better for me to die than to live. Jonah's so upset about the plant that died, it had brought him comfort. And so the story comes to a close as God turns to Jonah and makes this kind of a statement. Jonah, you care about a plant that you did nothing to grow. Jonah, shouldn't I care about Nineveh, a people that I created, but don't know me? And the boom that you hear at the end of Jonah is God dropping the mic and walking off. It's Like, that's it. Now, I want you to take a look for a second at what it says God did here, because it says just like the big fish, right, God appointed three things to bring Jonah's heart back. And when you look at the plant and you look at the worm and you look at the wind, we we got to recognize God is not again reacting. That's not what the word means. He's not just bringing these things out of nowhere, which, which he can. He's, he is the creator, so he can simply speak. And, and, but, but, but the picture here is it's a part of something bigger that began a long time ago. God appointed them. He knew. He knew the plant would need to be right here. And it would need to be right here at this specific moment in time. And so God knows that what needs to happen for a random seed to get to a seemingly random place and how the winds would have taken that seed from plant to plant until it arrives precisely where it needed to be one day, this day, for God to use. God appoints it. And a worm. He he, appoints mean. A mommy and daddy worm have to have a baby worm, right? And, and that baby worm's got to find a worm, and they're going to have some baby worms, and more baby worms are having until the day comes that one seemingly insignificant worm needs to be in this seemingly insignificant place for God to use. God appoints it. That's the meaning. Not to mention a scorching east wind, which might be the most complex of all. There are no mommy and daddy winds, right, at work with this. We got an Earth that rotates on an axis, revolves around the sun. We got a planet's atmosphere that allows it to retain, right, heat from that sun. But the process of rotating and revolving, as well as the very geographical regions and the topography, it causes fluctuations in the temperature and the atmospheric pressure and, and things like that. The Earth, Is that the specific rotation, a specific revolution in order to pull off this seemingly random, scorching east wind? No, God appoints it. Now I wonder if plants and worms and winds could talk. Would they ask the question, What's my purpose in all this? Right, what's what's my destiny? What am I even here for? So I want to take the statement a little bit further. God appoints it and makes it purposeful right where it is. So if we're talking about plants, he appoints it and he makes it purposeful right where it is. If we're talking about the worm, he, he, he appoints it and he makes it purposeful right where it is. If we're talking about a, an east wind, he, he appoints it and he makes it purposeful right where it is. The picture is intent, not reaction. God intended for a big fish to be in a specific location because he knew that Jonah was going to be thrown overboard into a storm, needed to be saved. He appointed a fish. That fish had a point all along. And the same is true with the plant and the worm and the wind. God knew Jonah would be bitter after Nineveh was forgiven. He knew an exact location where Jonah would go and pout. But before all of that took place, he appoints it to be there at that moment to accomplish his purpose. So maybe you know where I'm going by now. But I think it begs the question. If God can appoint things like whales and winds and worms and weeds, what about us? What about us? God, this all feels so meaningless. God, what 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 is my purpose in all this? Is there one? Let me show you something. Acts chapter 17 Acts chapter 17, I'm, I'm convinced it's just one of those most remarkable statements. Paul making an argument here. Here's, here's how it flows. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Sounds like a God in charge, right? From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out, he marked out their appointed, appointed times in history appointed boundaries of their lands. You getting this? You hearing this? He creates, and then when it comes to mankind, appointed times, appointed boundaries. God did this for what purpose? He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Come on, I'm telling you, God has appointed not only the when and the where and the why for whales and worms and weeds and winds, but he has also appointed the when and the where and the why for you and for me. Where you are right now is not random. When you're here right now is not random. Why you're you're here, why you exist here, right, that's not random. God appoints you and makes you purposeful right where you are. He appoints you and He makes you purposeful right where you are. He has placed each of us right when and where we are. So we'd be as close as we could ever be to what did it say? him that we would seek him that we would find him that that we would be saved by him so so ultimately we, we read this and we realize God God intentionally appoints people into families and he intentionally appoints people to live in towns He intentionally puts us in this very time in history. You ready for this? God even appoints us for this very season of our nation so that we can know him and seek him and find him. How good is that? But it doesn't even stop there. Because what the scripture tells us is that not only are we appointed to find him, but for those of us that he has done so that we now know him, he takes it even a step further, we are appointed to help others find him. And that's really what I want you to see today, which all of that was a giant introduction to Corinthians because I want you to hear these words that come out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start with verse 5. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned. Here's our word. As he has appointed to each his task. Now here's here's the context. The church the church they are picking teams according to who helped bring them to Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture of a church? They're arguing over Apollos, Apollos was the one who, who, when he preached and he told us about Jesus and we, we, we gave our life to him that day. It was Apollos. He's, he's the one, man, that dude, he, he can speak and he can communicate and he, he, and, and the other teams go, no, well, it was Paul for us. You think Apollos is a big deal. Paul, Paul himself, he's the one who, who, who gave us the news and, and we responded to him this sounds like, you remember when you were in grade school and people started making teams? You remember that? And like somebody rose up as the leader on Tuesday, and then by Thursday, somebody else has decided, hey, they're the leader, and everybody starts picking groups of whose team you're going to be on. That, that's what's happening here. But what I don't want you to miss is that word, assigned. Assigned. Pointed to each their task. What is he talking about? Let's get to verse six. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. What? what whoa, whoa, whoa! What's the seed? In this, he's he's talking about the good news of Jesus. That's what he's talking about, right? So Paul's saying, "I planted the seed." I was the first one to introduce you to, to Jesus. Apollos came along and he continued to give a, a teaching and understanding and meaning to that. It's like pouring water on that seed. But it is God who makes it grow. Next verse. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow grow. I'm telling you, in the same way that God has appointed us in our specific places in history so that we would come to know him, he's also appointed us with specific tasks to help bring others to him. And each of us play a part. Sometimes my role in that is to plant the seed. Sometimes my role in that is to water. Sometimes your role is to to introduce somebody for the very first time. Here's who Jesus is, a conversation that happens. Maybe it comes out of an act of service on your part, but you're a part of that very initial piece of introducing them to the God that they were put here right now to know. But then other times you come along later And you're the one who hopefully is living in such a way that you are affirming a Jesus who loves differently and forgives differently and serves differently. And so your life becomes a part of watering and you have conversations. And he says, we each have a part to play, but no matter our role, ultimately it's God who saves. I'm gonna remind you of something today. None of us, can bring about any eternal change in anybody's life. I cannot bring about eternal change in anybody's life. You cannot bring about eternal change in anybody's life. Sometimes we get such trust in our programs and in our eloquent speech or in our people skills. It's like our people skills are going to bring people to Jesus and Paul's going, nope. You plant, you water, but in the end, it's God who does the work. And we see this in an interesting way in Jonah's story because Jonah didn't exactly deliver a stellar message to the people of Nineveh. It was sort of like a turn or burn kind of deal. He's like, 40 days, you're done. I mean, it's like there's, there's no, he does not love them. He's not standing in front of them telling them about God because he loves them. He doesn't even want to be there. And yet at the end of the day, 100,000 plus people turn to God. That's like better than a Billy Graham crusade, Right? How does that happen? It's because God's going, it's me. It's me. If we want to see people, more people come to know Jesus, it has to be anchored in this truth. It is God who does it, and yet we each have a part. We are always planting, and we are always watering. Watch where he goes. Verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be record, rewarded according to their own labor verse 9 for we are co-workers in God's service you are God's field God's building he says look you got one purpose to plant and to water and we go i think that's two purposes and he goes nope that's one purpose planting and watering is in the same category You plant and water, that's your purpose. God does the growing. God brings about the change. And we have this role as his fellow workers. I'm going to give you this statement one more time. God appoints you. He appoints you and makes you purposeful right where you are. I mean, this is like the ultimate name drop. What he's describing here. Here's the way it goes. I would be talking to him like, hey, you heard of God? And you're like, you're like the creator of the universe? Yeah, that one. Savior of the world? That one. I work for him. Name drop. I work for him. That's what Paul says about you. That you you are co workers with him in this most incredible mission, right? Get this, Jonah didn't want to be a part of that at one point point. and I'm asking you today do you but before you answer that question I, I really want us to process where we find ourselves and what that means Acts 17 gave us the truth that our God doesn't need a thing he doesn't need anything that means he doesn't need me to do things for him. He can work through me or he can work around me. And yet he allows us, actually he appoints us to be a part of his master plan of seeing people come to know his heart. My question is, is there anything keeping you from joining him in you playing your part? I think... When you back up from the Jonah story, one of the most interesting parts of the story is it isn't really about Jonah. It's not. It's not really about Jonah. God uses a fish and a plant and a worm and a wind to help Jonah see God is the star of this story. He's in control and because of his love for more people than you could imagine, here's how far he will go. It is God doing the work, and he just asks us to join. And so the, the the simple then, do you respond or do you run? <laughs> do you go with God or do you run? Come on, he appoints creation. I, I look at this story. He appoints a fish, appoints a worm, appoints a plant, appoints a wind, and appoints Jonah. And only one of the group ran the other direction. The one who was created in the very image of God, the one whom God loved above all the others, the one whom God had rescued and called to his own heart. But aren't we like this? Aren't we like this? That some of you have a story that the day came that God turned the light on in your heart that you could begin to see who he is, and you turned and you tried to run. You tried to run for a little while. God's speaking, and you tried to run. But here you are now, let's say you, you tried to run, but he, he called you, he kept calling you to your But Isn't it true that even after we come to know him, there are still moments that we run from joining God in calling others to his heart? One more time, I want you to see this Jonah um, verse back in chapter one, you get these cities. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Right, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. So here's the questions I want to ask if we can just leave this. Do you have a Nineveh? Do you have a Nineveh? Nineveh represents the people to whom God's saying, I put you here right now, this place, to get to them. And you're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, not going to do it. Because he's been my friend since we were kids. And if I, if I start walking down this road and talking to him about who Jesus is, and it's going to confront the truth of where he's at, I don't want to lose my friend. Or is that family member? Is that family member? And you're like, mm Uh-uh. If I if I walk down this road with them and they don't respond, this, this is gonna make the holidays really awkward. Or for some of you. It's the entire Democratic Party. Yeah, uh, because we find ourselves in this really weird spot where lines are drawn and emotions are high. Like, "Mm -mm." God obviously loves some more than others. I ain't going there do you have a Nineveh? And then my question is, do you have a Tarshish? Tarshish represents where you go to stay away from Nineveh. For some people, it can be their work. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Your your Nineveh and your Tarshish can be the same place. So God puts you here right now in the work that you're in because there are some people that you work with that he wants their heart drawn to him, and you're supposed to plant and water. You can do that, or... You can choose instead to simply dive into the depth of your work, accomplish as much as you can, make it about how many right accolades can be achieved, right, how, much, how much money can you possibly make. You can turn it into where work actually becomes the passion of your heart, not seeing the mission to which you have been called, the people being the passion of your heart. Suddenly, work is both your Nineveh and your Tarshish. It might be where God's calling you to and you're going, uh-uh, awkward and so you pour your heart into actual work to avoid it. For some of you at school, right? For some of you, that's you, right? It, is, it can be easy to slide into the mindset that you care more about the 4.0 than you care about the people that sit around you every single day who are disconnected from the heart of God. It can be a hobby, it can be a hobby that you run to that just allows you to not to have to think about it. Something that you run to that keeps you from not having to worry about it. It can, it can be social media, you name it. There are a lot of Tarshish. Let's talk for a second. We have a nation with two widely different political agendas we do two platforms very different and I like you um, would, would believe more in one of them and would even go so far to say I think there are times that, that I think there are some dangerous things that exist in the political arena in terms of what some people want to see take place I don't mind telling you that But listen to me, the mission that was given directly to me from my God appointed for now is to take the good news of Jesus to everyone, even the person that I think is most dangerous. Jesus died for her too. My greatest purpose is not to get my neighbor to change political parties. My greatest purpose is to introduce my neighbor to Jesus. And so I plant and I water every chance I get. Plant and water. Listen to me. Whoever becomes president does not change that tomorrow. Doesn't change it. We have a nation who is ever-growing learning not to trust. Mistrust continues to grow, right? There is a mainstream media in this country that seems to care very little about my values. And so the trust factor is incredibly different. But my greatest purpose is to introduce my neighbors to Jesus who is always trustful, always faithful. So I plant and I water, and regardless of who the next president is, does not change that mission for me tomorrow. We have a nation that continues to isolate. Can you see it? Can you see the effect of what's taking place? That don't misunderstand me. There, there are some of you that, that because of physical issues, you choosing still to be safe and not to be in the mix. That's not what I'm downplaying here. That, that You don't need to feel guilty for that at all. You've got to make wise decisions about health. But I'm saying in the whole scope of a nation, there is an effect that is taking place where it has become acceptable to even see our home as a fortune and to avoid as much outside contact as possible. We protect at all costs. We can fly the banner of safety. over. I'm telling you, over time, our nation is going to feel the consequences of isolation because our God did not design us to operate in isolation. My greatest purpose is to introduce my neighbor to the Jesus who loved them enough that he would die for them, rise again to call them into a giant family who is going to be together forever and ever. So my job is to plant and it's to water and whoever the next president is does not change that mission. Whoever leads the nation can perhaps make it more difficult to accomplish the mission. If that is a surprising statement to you, then you haven't been reading much of God's word because Jesus said a long time ago, you can expect that kind of thing. You can expect it. But who actually changes lives? Who actually changes lives? God changes lives. And what we've been reminded of today is even in something that feels like a storm, he can bring large numbers of hearts to himself. My leader last week is still the leader this week. There has been no transition of ultimate power And I'm telling you, there never will be. Here's the declaration. Jesus is Lord. My mission last week is still my mission this week. This isn't my home. I'm just passing through. But the truth is, God has appointed me and he's appointed you for right here and right now for such a purpose of joining him in reaching to a world around us who does not trust, who is alone, who is afraid and is searching for hope. And we get to join God. Who wins, by the way? We're on the winning team, by the way. We get to join God in reaching out in such a darkness. The image for me this week, I love that old commercial for the Marines, where you see all this smoke and people are running, but then as it pans backwards, you've got the Marines and they're the only ones running into the smoke. They're the only ones running into the fire. That's the church. And maybe we are in a season where we're going to find out who is for real. And if God has provided such a season, we should be grateful for such because genuine faith there is no match in value I needed 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this week it's almost as if God appointed it let's pray God, I'm grateful that in all the uncertainty, what we are certain of is that you have never been nor ever will be anything outside of perfectly faithful. And that you have never been nor will ever be anything outside of perfectly good and that means that if there are moments that you allow a point circumstances god where we feel like god this this is this doesn't feel sure and it, it god we don't like what's going but god what we know is that if you can do something beautiful with our heart out of that moment, God, it ought to make our heart sing. And I'm asking you to give your people such a perspective, God. You are not biting your fingernails this moment in in, in light of our country. You are not trying to figure out the next move. Because long before any of us had breath, you already held it. So God, I'm just simply praying for your church today. This could be one of those days that you just allow us to be together for a little while to restore what we say we believe about you. And this week, God, will you begin to make our lives the evidence that we do believe what we say we believe about you. So God, I continue to pray for those who are sick. I pray for those who are hurting right now. God, for people within our body, for people that we know, God, we're asking that in the name of Jesus there could be healing. I'm asking, God, that there could be healing in your power. You're the one who does it. God, I pray for our families, God, some who may be struggling and when it comes to work or, or finances and figuring out what to do with businesses and school and God, all that kind of stuff. God, God, in a way, we understand you tell us all that's a vapor and yet the vapor matters when it's attached to eternity. So God, I pray for wisdom. I pray that you give your people, God, a courage, a a desire to hear your voice above all the other voices that are willing to speak to us. God, may may, may we hear you and may we trust you. Will you give your people, God, direction? And God, may you turn us into an army, a force that when everybody else is running from the smoke, we will do what you've called us to do, and we will continue to risk because we will continue to love, and we will follow you straight into the fire. God, I thank you for your greatness that's going to be known out of this season in our nation. May we, your people, may our lives give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray it together. And all God's people said, amen.